Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit DestinyDayton.com. Open your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 1. Bring the house lights up full, please. John 20, chapter chapter 20, verse 1. Happy Resurrection Day, everyone. Amen. So glad you are here today, worshiping with us, the risen Savior. It's really something we do 365 days a year around here. But it's nice to have one day where we focus exclusively on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, wow, what a what a day, what a what a history changing day. Amen. Y'all in here? I'm just checking. Is this the same church I was in last week? I'm just checking. I'm just checking. All right. Come on. Hallelujah. How many are there? Say amen. Amen. John 20, verse 1. Now, very early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved away from the entrance. So she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple who Jesus loved and told them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Notice her conclusion. They have taken him. We don't know where they have put him. Everybody with me? Then Peter and the other disciples set out to go to the tomb. And the two were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent down and he saw the strips of linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who had been following, arrived and went into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been around Jesus' head, not lying with the strips of linen cloth, but rolled up in a place by itself. That's significant right there. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first came in and he saw and believed. Everyone see that? For they did not yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she went, wept, she bent down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And Mary replied, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Because she thought he was the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will take him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, if you thought about something familiar suddenly spoken in that one word until now, she thought she was talking to the gardener, but suddenly he says her name in such a way that rings a bell. Suddenly he speaks her name in a familiar way that she realizes, oh, I know exactly who this is. You see, the last time that she had seen Jesus, his body was beaten, abused, bloody. And now she sees the glorified, the perfected body of Jesus. And he's standing there before her. And suddenly she realizes, wait a second, when she hears her name, this isn't the gardener anymore. This is Jesus. Because she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus replied, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and informed the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what Jesus had said to her. I want to keep going with just a few more verses, right? Here we go. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together and they locked the doors of the place because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Why were they afraid of the Jewish leaders? 
They figured they're going to get blamed, whether Jesus resurrected or not, which I think they are, they were believing that most of them were believing that by now, but they, they thought, and they had reason to fear that there's going to be a backlash because the Jewish leaders, right? They said, you better watch these disciples are going to come steal the body and they're going to claim he's risen. So you, you know, we better put guard at the tomb. And so we know that there was guards at the tomb. And so they were locked behind the doors because they thought when the word gets out, they're coming for us. And Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, just as the father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. I want to jump to verse 30. All right, just go down just a few verses. Now Jesus performed many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are recorded. There's actually a debate in the scholarly world. Why was the book of John written, right? It, it seems pretty clear right here. These things are written. This is recorded. I have written this so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one, the Christ, the one sent from God. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the power that's in your resurrection. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we just receive everything that you have spoken through your Holy Spirit today. I pray, God, that we would just be touched by your power. I pray, God, that you would just descend in this place today. Friends, come on. Feel a little religious in here today. I want everyone to lift your hands. Let's lift our voices. Come on. Jesus, we're here to encounter you. We're not here to make family happy. We're not here just to check a box. We're in church on Easter. We are here to encounter you. Lord Jesus, your word says if your resurrection didn't happen, church is worthless anyway. Our faith is worthless. So God, everything hinges on the fact that you came out of the tomb. And God, we're just not believing in an event. God, we're here to experience an event. Because church, the body of Christ, isn't just something we do father it is a person that we have encountered and experienced and i pray lord in the name of jesus christ that you would touch your people with your power right now in jesus name in jesus name god may we leave different than the way we walked in this place in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated why is the resurrection of jesus christ so powerful Why is the resurrection of Jesus so powerful? This is why, my friends, I don't want to ever call today Easter. It's okay if you do. I like referring to it as Resurrection Sunday because there is tremendous power in what happened when Jesus came out of the tomb. It pretty much changed everything. It changed everyone in here say everything. It changed everything everything and it's powerful and i just want to jump in with this first thought the resurrection stands as proof of everything is god real is jesus real is all the is all this stuff real? the answer is absolutely yes because if jesus came out of the grave it means that everything that jesus did was really from god every claim that he made was true he proved that he was god he proved that salvation of the world that he had come to purchase by his blood and in one single act in one single moment the resurrection proves that it's all true jesus on the cross proves that humankind is not okay the old i'm okay you're okay thing i want to tell you jesus by dying proved that there was something not right and we had to have our sin paid for jesus came to do that when he died and when he came out of that tomb the bible tells us it changed everything jesus claimed to be god only god would rise from the dead 
Only God can do what Jesus did. Only God could perform the miracles that He did. That was the big debate among the Jewish people that Jesus ministered. That's what drew crowds of people. John 6, 2 said that great multitudes followed Him because of the miracles that He did. And when people see the miraculous, when people see blinded eyes open, when people see lepers healed, when people see the dead raised, right? Like Lazarus and and the little girl. I want to tell you, they understand that there's a power at work here that is not normal. It is supernatural. That's why today we rejoice in the fact that God's power is ongoing. We continue to see the miraculous happening today. We continue to see, and while skeptics will skeptic, and morons will moron, and people will not believe, the truth remains that God is alive, and that He is real, and that His power proves when Jesus came out of the grave, everything He said was true. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not risen, then our faith is dead and we are still in our sins. You see, there's an issue. If Jesus didn't come out of the grave, then we're all in here headed for hell. Everyone on this planet, that's what we deserve. That's where we were headed. This is why this is, this is key to everything. Jesus coming out of the tomb, it made not only, it, it, it cleansed us, but it opened the door for heaven. And that's why Paul said, if Christ did not rise, then guess what? We're still in our sins. But here's the good news. He did rise. It's important to know and believe the resurrection of Jesus wasn't a spiritual resurrection. This is something that was very controversial early on in Christianity. There were people that came and tried to say, well, Jesus resurrected spiritually. Sort of like he he was a a spirit floating around or he was like something of a ghost. But the gospel writers give great detail and they give great account for the fact that Jesus was bodily resurrected. It tells us in all four accounts of the gospels after Jesus rose again, they all touched his scars. He ate food with them, right? He interacted with them. They were able to touch him. John even said we were able to touch him. He was real. So the reality is Jesus didn't raise spiritually. He raised physically. And that is a huge point today that we need to understand. It was a bodily resurrection. It was a physical resurrection. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter cites the scriptural prophecy in Psalm 16 that said, you will not leave your Holy One in Hades, but you and you will not allow him to see decay. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus was resurrected before his body started to decay in accordance to the prophecy in Psalm 16. When Mary Magdalene got to the tomb in John 20, her immediate conclusion is that they have stolen his body. His body was gone. His body wasn't in there anymore. That Jesus had risen didn't appear to be on her mind at this moment. But the Bible tells us when Peter and John got there, they came to a different conclusion than Mary, and it was based on what they saw. And if you look at the verses here uh, in John 6 and 7, it says that Simon Peter, who had been following him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen cloth lying there. And they saw the face cloth, which had been around Jesus' head. So people, just to give you an idea of what what the general thought of what this cloth was in ancient times, really going back into the 17, 1800s, when somebody died, they would take a cloth. If you've ever seen the Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, when Marley comes in some versions, they will show he's got a cloth wrapped around his head, right? To keep his jaw closed. See, nowadays when, when you go to a funeral and if they have an open casket, the, 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 the mortician has taken some time to sew their jaw together so their jaw doesn't hang open. So Bible scholars, some Bible scholars believe this head cloth was actually something that was meant to tie his jaw up. We don't know. We're just speculating. But just give you an idea of, of what they were looking at here. And the face cloth that had been around Jesus' head was not lying with the strips of linen cloth, but it was rolled up in a place by itself. Now, if you just want to look at this logistically for a second, if you were dead and wrapped up, and you had come back to life, and you kind of sat up on the edge, the first thing that you might want to do 
as you are trying to take time to unravel the strips of cloth that you would have been wrapped in, is that you might have thought, you know what? I would like to unwrap my head, first of all. Right? You would have uncovered your head. And it looked like as they looked in, the disciples looked in, somebody bothered, right, to take the minute to remove the face cloth and roll it up and put it in a place by itself, which was significant because if it had if his body uh, hadn't been resurrected right uh, or if something you know nefarious had happened it, it, this this just looked like a plan this just looked like the man that was dead came to life he unwrapped his head he rolled it up and he sat it over here and the rest of his stuff was just laying on the ground leading them to the conclusion that he really really came to life because when you're reading this it says they believed and you read that and you think what did they believe what mary had said but that wouldn't have made sense that that was that would be kind of anticlimactic it was they looked in and they saw how his headpiece was wrapped and rolled and put in a different spot and, and it wouldn't have made sense for them to say hey you know what mary's right they stole the body right if you're going to steal the body you'd have just taken it right you wouldn't unwrapped it you just, you just scooped it up and ran, right? After you somehow disarmed the Roman guards that were, <laughs> that were standing in front of the tomb, after you defeated them, right? Because they were going to fight to the death because they were warned, you know, if something happens, it's your neck. So there was two soldiers out there that were going to bleed the ground red before they let somebody in to take that body. So they would say, but if these people would have magically defeated two soldiers, Right. And they'd have had to stole three bodies or four bodies. It couldn't have been just Jesus. They would have probably had to kill the Roman soldiers and take them with them. So it looked like something really weird happened. Or otherwise, there'd be two dead Roman soldiers there like, oh, you following the logic here. Of course, we learn in another gospel that they fled out of fear when the angel showed up and rolled the stone away, which is probably a smart move on their part. I would probably run the other way also. And they looked in and they saw, and the Bible says in verse 9, I love that, it says, and this is what they call an authorial note, right? The author, right, John writes this in, you know, as he's narrating this story. Verse 9, if you got it there in your Bible, for they did not yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So what this means was they believed that Jesus had risen because he talked about that. But they did not understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So, in essence, if you track with me here, they believed, it appears that they believed the what without understanding the why. They understood the what without understanding the why. Now, see, today in evangelism, we do the opposite. We try to get people to understand the why, and then we give them the what. We try to debate people. We try to make it intellectually plain and so they can figure it out and give them the point. So they, okay, okay, okay. And that's fine. But understand here, I like this process. They saw something powerful. They believed it. They believed the what, even though they didn't understand all the scriptural stuff behind it of how Jesus had to come to life. And I'm thinking, you know, isn't that pretty cool that they had encountered Jesus and because they had an encounter with Jesus, the why were small potatoes. See where I'm going with this, maybe. You see, I believe this is why we lead with the power of the resurrection. We lead with encounters for G- with Jesus. We bring people to encounters with Jesus. And if we will bring people, hello, are you here today? If we will lead people to encounters with Jesus, we can give them the why afterwards. The why is going to be the easy part. The why is going to be, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because when you encounter Jesus like the disciples had had, when they had seen what they seen and saw what they saw, maybe I should say, it changed them. And when they saw his resurrected body, they believed, even though they had no idea about what the scripture was saying. And it's interesting because there's not a lot of clear Old Testament scripture on Jesus rising from the dead. There's a few mentions about the Messiah, how he will rise. And it's some of the passages, it's rather vague and and veiled. But there was this belief in the second temple period 
when Jesus was alive, that the Messiah would be somebody that would suffer and die and be resurrected because that's the overarching theme like Jonah, right? Jesus even referenced Jonah when he was teaching. It's that overarching theme that the Messiah was going to rise from the dead. You see, that's why I believe it's critical. It's critical today that we give people the opportunity to encounter Jesus. And I believe that's the first and foremost thing that we need to do. I believe we can teach them the why, but I believe we need to give them the what up front. I'm tired of people saying, and no one says it here, but I've heard it all my life. Well, they're not ready for that. Yeah, people, they're not ready. Why aren't they? Why not? Why hide the power and, and, and the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything that means? I tell you what, if, if you pray for somebody and they encounter the power of God and they will receive something from Jesus Christ, it greatly enhances their chances to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Not always, but I believe with all my heart, when you give people the, the what? They'll accept the why. And you can even see this other places in Scripture. When the Bible tells us in Acts, when the blind man was healed or the crippled man was healed, he's like, you know, they question him. I don't know. I don't know about the Jesus. I don't know anything about where he's from. But all I know is I was blind, but now I see. Are you with me? I don't know the why. I can't give you the theology behind it. I can't explain it academically so it makes sense. I can't explain it so your brain can wrap around around it but this is what i know i was blind and now i see this is where the church needs to live today that is where the church and that's where it's so so oftentimes we don't we must recapture that When we put our full faith in Jesus Christ and His resurrection, the resurrection power, it doesn't move the old you. It doesn't hide the old you. It doesn't displace your old self. It totally resurrects the new you. If anyone be in Christ, you are a new creation. If anyone be in Christ, the old is gone. The new is come. I love the fact that they look in the tomb and He was resurrected and He was gone. And I thought, man, what foreshadowing for what Jesus has done for us. How the devil would like to lead us back and remind us of our old self. But we can say, you know what? That old self is gone. And I have been renewed. I have been resurrected by the power of Jesus Christ. Woo! That's how we know we've encountered Jesus. You're transformed. See, you're not saved until you've been changed. You're not saved because you said a prayer. You're not saved because you're a church member. You're not saved because you took communion when you were 7 or 13 or 14. You were saved when you had that critical mass faith that Jesus put inside of you and you put your full faith in Him and you were convicted of your sin enough to stop sinning, enough to turn away from your past, enough to turn away. And in that moment, your old self was wiped out and the new you was born. And Jesus took a heart of stone and the Bible says He puts a heart of flesh inside of us. He gives us a brand new heart. It's not heart surgery. It's a heart transplant. He takes the old and gives the new. Romans 6, 3, it says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism and death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in the newness of life. We're made new. If you are in Christ, that means you are new. And that means your lifestyle reflects it. And everything you do and say reflects that there's no such thing as being saved and continuing in your old life. I don't care what the false hyper grace teachers teach today. That's not the word of God. If you are saved, if you have come to know Jesus Christ, if that is your claim, then you better have a lifestyle that matches your claim. Are you with me today? 
Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. It doesn't mean you're going to live in perfection, but it means most of the time you're going to, your, your lifestyle is going to reflect that of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we use, well, I'm not perfect as an excuse to sin. That's got to stop. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Of course, no one's perfect. But when I'm in Christ, he's given me the grace to overcome my struggles, to overcome my sin, to overcome my addictions, to overcome my past. It, it, and that's that's the proof. That's what we say all the time. If you if you are saved, right? Thieves, stop stealing. See, if you were a thief before you were saved and you get saved, you'll get massively convicted. If the if the if the if the lady at the cash register gives you too much change back and you try to pocket it and not say anything, you'll have alarm bells go off inside of you. It's called the Holy Spirit. Say, what are you doing? Sorry, I think you gave me too much. Right. You can't be pocketed that and act like I'm praise the Lord. The Lord bless. I've had people I'll praise the Lord. Bless me today. Well, you mean you stole money that wasn't yours. That wasn't a blessing. That was stealing. I'm serious. I'm like people. Oh, look at this. I, I, I was blessed today. Like we got someone else's purse in your head. That's not a blessing. That's stealing. Well, they just left. It doesn't matter. Like, oh, this box was just sitting on someone's front doorstep and no one was claiming it. So I walked up and took it. What a blessing. Oh, it's stealing. You need to go to jail. Our culture has a hilarious way of, it's sad, really, of trying to justify and claiming good. We're really good at it as a people in general, right? Of riding both sides of the fence. I'm clean. I know Jesus. I know God. And the other side, our life betrays everything we claim. That's why the Bible is crystal clear. If any man be in Christ, you're not the same person. And if you are the same person, you need to go back to the cross again and get on your face and repent of your sin and say, Jesus, I didn't encounter you i encountered a nice preacher in skinny jeans and he talked me into it and i i love oh he was funny oh and he had all these props on stage and i just loved it i said a prayer but my life didn't change see are we encountering a preacher are we encountering jesus there's a big difference colossians 2 having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up through him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions, when you were dead in your transgressions, I love that. And the uncircumcision of your, of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. He made you alive together with him. Look at your Bible. The next part, I, I, I want to talk about this next part of John, John's telling of the resurrection. John 20, verse 10. So the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she bent down and she looked in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there. Now notice the disciples had departed. And she was still chilling there. She wasn't willing to give up the hunt. She thought his body's got to be somewhere around here. This couldn't have happened very long. It's like before dark, right? The sun was just peeking up. Like they, it, it, can't have, it couldn't have happened very long ago. So she was weeping. And she looked back in the tomb. And this time she sees two handsome guys sitting there in white. I don't know that they were handsome or that they were guys necessarily. But the Bible says they were two angels sitting there. One at the head and one at the feet. And they ask a very great question, I think. Woman, why are you weeping? Don't you love it when you know something that someone else doesn't know yet? And you're about to give them the good news. You're about to make their day. They're stressing. They're worried about the future. They're worried about what happened. And you're sitting there and you can't wait to tell them the good news. And these angels, they must have had that maybe that feeling a little bit in their heart. I don't know. But the Bible says they looked at her and said, woman, why are you weeping? I don't know that they were expecting a reply, but they got one. Mary replied, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. They didn't even reply because 
When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she didn't know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And then because she thought he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him that I may take him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and informed the disciples. I love this. You can underline this in your Bible. I have seen the Lord. Highlight it in your pad, your phone, underline it in your Bible. I have seen the Lord. And she told them what Jesus had said to her. This is a little foreshadowing of what is coming for those who encounter the risen Jesus. Note the question asked twice and then twice by the angels and then by Jesus himself. Why are you weeping? In other words, there's no reason to be crying. It's only going to be good news today. There's no reason for you to weep. And she went back to the disciples and she gave the disciples this five word statement that would change the world. She gave the disciples a five-word statement that would cost each one of them, save one, their lives. Eleven of the twelve men would die because they went around the world making that same statement. I have seen the Lord. A man with an experience is no match for a man with an argument. A woman with an experience is no match for a man with an argument. I have seen the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. Secondly, the resurrection is not just something to believe in. It is something to experience. If you believe in it, wonderful. You still haven't gotten there. You have to experience it. I'm concerned that there's many Americans who believe in the resurrection to some extent, but they haven't encountered the resurrection. And the Bible tells us there's, there's no salvation until we experience his power. We experience the transformation. Just like many Americans, there's still a majority, <laughs> shockingly, right? A majority of Americans believe in God. But that it has little impact on most people's lives because to believe it is not enough. You have to surrender to it. You have to let it change you and transform you. This is what Paul meant when he wrote in Philippians 3, when he said, I want to know him and experience the power of his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is not just an event. It's an encounter waiting to happen for every man, woman, teenager, boy, and girl. The story today is not only Jesus has risen, but I have risen. Many of you in here have risen. Hundreds of millions of people around this globe have risen because they have encountered the power of Jesus Christ. And now the Bible tells us that that same resurrection power that was in Jesus is in us also. And he has transformed us. And when we encounter Jesus, we can make that same statement that Mary made here in John chapter 20. I have seen the Lord. I have encountered the Lord in that statement. It changes everything. It will change every life. It will change nations. I I have seen the Lord. When we have put our faith in Christ, we will experience the power of His resurrection. I want to tell you at least twice in our lives, when we are resurrected with new bodies someday, when after we're dead, and when we are resurrected to do life spiritually in Christ. But we can't really know the resurrection power until we have a revelation of Jesus in His present position. He's not a baby in a manger. He's not a broken man on the cross. One of the last pictures we get of Jesus is in the book of Revelation. And I love in Revelation chapter 1, when the same John, it's believed, who wrote this gospel, who wrote the book of Revelation, when he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice that said, come up here, John, I want to show you the things that will be. And as he was writing, he looked and he noticed the one that was talking to him looked a little different than the last time he remembered him. His eyes were blazing like fire. His hair was as white as wool. His feet were blazing like brass that had been pulled out of a smelter. 
And the Bible says when he spoke, his voice was like the sound of many waters. You ever been to the ocean? That That's the voice that Jesus spoke in. So terrifying was that that John, remember the disciple who Jesus loved, first disciple to the tomb, first one to say, I believe. Suddenly he falls to his face afraid of the Jesus that he walked with for three years. See, before we can appreciate the the, the revelation of the resurrection, we have to have a revelation of who Jesus is today. Because 1 John 4, 17, it says, as Jesus is today, so are we. We are in a, a, a bodily resurrected, spiritually resurrected state. But understand that Jesus Christ is our example. It wasn't the Bible tells us in Revelation until Jesus came and put his hand on John and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who is dead and now I'm alive. You see, the power of the resurrection is available to everyone here today. Millions have experienced it. Every time someone gets set free, it's his resurrection power at work. Every time an addict gets set free from their addiction, it's his resurrection power at work. Every time sickness is healed, it's his resurrection power at work. Every time the sins of our past and sins that we've committed, right? Every time they are washed away and we are forgiven, it is his resurrection power that's at work because Paul said if Jesus didn't rise and we're still in our sins. So it's his resurrection power that washes your past away. It's his resurrection power. Romans 6.10 says for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, understand we're dead to our sin. But now we are alive in Christ Jesus. You can't be alive to your sin and alive in Christ at the same time. Let's, let's be crystal clear on this. We can't be alive to the sin of our past and alive in Christ. Because you see, something that we magically tend to leave out of this story is that before you can have a resurrection, you have to have a death. There's a whole bunch of folk trying to celebrate resurrection life and they haven't died yet. Because they're still alive to their sin. You've got to die to your sin. You've got to die to yourself. It's an act called repentance where you turn away from your past. You turn away because Jesus, his power has come and your heart is convicted. And and, and rather than trying to argue it and debate, as long as someone's trying to argue and debate it, they're not ready. The Bible says you saw the banner when you walk in. God will resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How do you know if someone's not ready to be saved? Because they're still trying to argue and debate it. Because pride has them. You can't be alive to your sin and alive to God at the same time. You have to be dead to your sin. So before there can be a resurrection, there's got to be a death. Jesus said the same, right? If any man will come after me, you have to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. What do you think you're taking up your cross to do just to put it around your neck and wear it as a gold chain for the rest of your life? No, you're taking it to a place called Calvary where you will get nailed to the cross, right? And you will die to yourself and you will die to your sin and you will die to your past. And suddenly you realize that you're not going to be able to save yourself. And every effort that you've done to try to run your life has ended in pretty much disaster. And it's been, it's been bad news. So we're surrendering what we are so we can come to life in Jesus Christ. And just like there were cloths rolled up in the tomb, leaving evidence that Jesus got up and walked out. I mean, the man wanted to see, right? He had a physical body. He had to get the cloth off his head. Makes sense. Just like that, there's still evidence today where Jesus has been. Because everywhere that Jesus has been, there's always evidence he was there. Has Jesus been in your house? Then there's evidence. If there's not evidence, I'd be concerned. Has Jesus visited your house? If he has, there's evidence. Because that's how Jesus works. Everywhere Jesus has been, you can tell. Right? 
Because the gospel is a message of transformation. It's a message of power. It's not a story. It's more than a story. It's power. It's good news. It's life. Where Jesus has been, there's always evidence that he was there. Because he leaves healing. He leaves forgiveness. He leaves freedom in his wake. Just like we are supposed to do. Hello. It's a signature of the divine God that we serve. Where he is, things are different. I love it when people say, you know, my life has totally changed. And the only thing that's different is I met someone named Jesus Christ. I'm totally new inside. I'm totally different. I think differently. I act differently. I live differently. And by the way, repentance is more than just changing your mind. It's also, it's a, it's, it's a change of mind that leads to change of life. Because unless there's a change of life, there wasn't a change of mind. Sometimes we try to isolate that one meaning of the word repent and we leave out the rest of it. Yeah, it's a mind change that leads to the life change. That allows Jesus to come in, right? And put the new heart. If any man be in Christ, you're going to be new. You're going to be changed. You're going to be different. Let's look at verse 30. Now Jesus performed many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. I want you to finally just, just, just grasp this last point right here. The resurrection means that all who believe in Jesus Christ will have real life. In Him is life. In Him is fullness. Jesus himself even declared, I have come to give life and to give it abundantly, to give it full. How do you live an abundant life? Well, I would suggest that to have abundant life, you can't without supernatural divine intervention. Because of all of our propensity to screw our lives up. When we visit prisons, addiction centers, I don't see people who have enjoyed their lives. I see people many times screaming out for a fresh start and a second chance. When I go to the hospital and I visit people that are sick and, and, and sometimes, you know, things happen by, you know, just happenstance and things happen because of choices they've made. I see that they are not currently enjoying their life right now. When I talk to people who have walked through some pain and they've walked through some, some things that have been very painful in their life and, and, and things happened and decisions were made and, and, and things transpired, you, 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 your heart breaks for them, but you see that they currently aren't enjoying their life very much right now. You see, that's why without Jesus Christ, you can't have abundant life. That's why I'm a huge proponent of giving children the gospel and getting them just full of, of the Holy Spirit. And, and if you will, I don't mind using this word, and get them indoctrinated with the truth of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're likely to save them a lifetime of pain. I used to have these people that lived across the street when I lived in Oklahoma. And I, I just, I hate to say it, they're just kind of morons. But they, they're like, well, you know, we're just going to let our kids decide what they want to do. You know, we're not going to make them go to church. And I said, you, you know what you're doing? You're raising an atheist then. I'm guessing you're not going to take that stance for reading, right? You're going to make them learn to read. Well, of course, we're going to send them. Okay, Jesus is more important than ABCs, math. He's more important than reading, writing, and arithmetic. He's way, that stuff's important, but Jesus is way more important than that. It's way more important. And while we will not give our kids a choice, right? I know I'm not talking to anyone in here, but people will give their kids choice or no choice on things like that. But when it comes to the most important issues of their soul, we're going to let them decide. Please. How stupid are we? Just like you don't let a five-year-old decide what gender they are. That's stupid. That's demonic. Push back on that, church. You know, I'm seeing sinners in the world starting to push back on that because they realize how stupid that is. Seriously, atheists. I see people pushing back on that. 
Because you see, the devil is a liar and he's a thief. I listened to a testimony of somebody. I think they were 19 or 20. They were on the radio the day I was listening. And, and they were allowed to have a gender reassignment surgery when they were an early, like 11 years old, something like that. Uh, it was ridiculous. And now they're looking for who to sue. Because they want to know who screwed my life up that would listen to a 10 or 11-year-old that said I was a boy when I was a girl. And, and now they want to find who messed my life up. And there's going to be a whole whole bunch of folk in a few years you just wait they're going to come with fury and say why would you let a five-year-old do that why would you let a little child pick their gender what in the heck is wrong with your brain it's coming but you see that's the enemy of this world satan wants to confuse he's the author of confusion in fact, I see in several states now when there's ch- uh, these are implemented laws, right, by the government. I think I, I forget what I want to say, New Jersey or Maryland somewhere. They've just there's a new law that if if a child has gender confusion, they're going to give them psychotherapy, which is what they did when I was a kid. If you had that issue, they didn't go along with their delusion. They said, you need some help. All that to say, that's the devil's lie to our culture today. That's just one of them. He wants to muddy the waters. He wants us to be confused. He wants people to be confused. He wants people to turn on each other. He wants people to harm each other. He wants people to to inflict danger and pain. That is what the devil wants to do. And here is John saying, listen, I've got good news. If you're wondering why I'm writing this book, because it was real expensive back then to write a book, and I'm writing this out so you will pass it down to know that if you will believe in Jesus Christ, you will have life and that life will be abundant and that life will wash away every sin. It'll wash away your past. It'll wash away every stain. It'll wash away everything you've ever done. There'll be no more sins held against you. You will be clean before the Lord Jesus Christ. And John said, that is why I'm writing this book. That's all. That's all. I know Jesus did a lot of stuff that I couldn't write. See, please understand all of God is not contained in the Bible. If that statement freaks you out, just read John right there. (laughs) Come on, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's a big God. The Bible speaks of him, points to him, reveals him, but the Bible does not contain him. Many things that Jesus did that aren't recorded in this book. (gasps) I mean, Jesus did things that weren't biblical. Jesus did stuff that wasn't biblical. It wasn't in the Bible. Wow. Can we let the lion out of its cage? Can we get get God out of the box we have him in? Can we get him out of religion? And we, can we get him and can we just insert him into this moral morass of filth and junk and pornography and mud and, and lies? and fi- Can we just insert the king of kings into this culture and stop trying to say, well, God can't do that. Right? People trying to debate me about deliverance and... Not, well, <laughs> I say, you know, I don't even debate anymore because after a while, you just know what you know. I see what I see. I know what I know. I've seen what God has done for people's lives. Like I don't hear it as much anymore. But God doesn't heal people like that anymore. Yeah, whatever. Go sit in your little dead, dry church and do whatever you do. But just leave me alone, man, because like I said, I, you just know what you know after a while. I believe there's power and life available for anyone who will grab a hold of the Word of God and the truth of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and just understand that God is all of God is in God is revealed in here, but all of God is not contained in here. But God is going to insert us into a culture that desperately needs a display of His power, who desperately needs an encounter, and His power and His resurrection power will flow through His church. Hello, we're here. See, this is why we get saved. This is why we come to church. This is why we be taught. This is why, right, that we join together. Because what we need to do is march as a body to bring healing and deliverance and truth to our culture. 
Because last I checked, a lot of people in this world are sick of this. Talk. A lot of talking. But where's the walking? A lot of talk. Got it. Heard it. Understand it. How about somebody demonstrate it for me? Hello, church. You are the ones. If you have experienced a resurrection power of Jesus Christ, God wants you to dispense that resurrection power on as many people as you can. We are called to be the salt and light of this world and the leaven. Jesus wants to insert us into this culture today and understand and make this point clear to people that it is only through Jesus Christ that we will have life. It is only through Jesus Christ. His resurrection means that we have life and life eternal. And the reader might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by believing in His name. It's life that the world can't give you. You can't get it in a bottle. You can't give it, get it in a little yellow pill bottle with a white lid that has a child safety cap. That's not going to give it to you. That'll only jack you up further. doesn't come in a bottle. Not sold at a liquor store. It's life that is generated by the power of a resurrected Jesus Christ. If anybody wonders why they aren't experiencing it, that's maybe why you're here today. That's why you're watching online. Jesus wants you to encounter his life today, but it starts by you dying to yourself today. Life. The world can't take it away. They may kill your body, but they cannot end you. They cannot take your eternal soul. Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your resurrected power. I thank you, God, that you are living. I thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. God, I just pray your glory in this room right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Would you stand with me and lift your hands to the Lord? Come on. Let's thank Him for His resurrection life. Let's thank Him for His resurrection power. Hallelujah. 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 Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com. 